You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. satisfied with the physical, never satisfied with the physical. Why? Because he knows there's no power in physical food. He knows there's no power in physical food. True power comes from the spiritual food that Jesus offers. In truth, Jesus wanted to give them the Word of God. He wanted them to hear and listen to what was being said because he knew that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Don't pursue after the physical, pursue after the spiritual. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Dave, you'll learn that when you pursue after God's Spirit, that's where the power lies. Going after the things of this world will let you down, but going after the Holy Spirit, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 6 as he begins his message, Difficult Doctrine. If you found your place in the Gospel of John, I'm going to read beginning in verse 46, chapter 6, through verse 59. If you follow along silently, I'll read aloud. Jesus is speaking. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who was from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, who so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate in the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So as we begin this morning, I want to ask you a question. Has anyone ever told you anything that was really hard to believe? You know, you're listening to somebody speak and they tell you something that's really, really difficult to believe and you give them that look like, what? When we're very young, we usually believed whatever people told us because we didn't think that anyone could tell us a non-truth. We, we believed things that were told us. And we were like other children, and I was like most of the kids in the neighborhood. You know, I believed in the fairy tales that I read. I believed in the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus and, and the Easter Bunny and all those things growing up. But as we get older, we came to realize those things that just weren't 
real. You know, there are adults who will believe almost anything that they're told. I mean, you go on the internet, and after all, the internet doesn't lie, right? But there are also those adults who question everything. And as adults, we need to question some things because we need to, we need to make hard decisions. We need to make hard decisions that are based on truth, not untruth. Sometimes we get an offer that seems too good to be true. And if you get one of those things, it's probably too good to be true. But that's for another time. But in reality, there are times when we do not believe what we really should, and there are times when we believe what we really shouldn't. Well, what am I trying to say in all this? The point I'm trying to make is there are things that are difficult to understand, and there are things that are hard to believe. And it is my theory and my belief, and I've talked about this with our leadership, that sometimes the Bible is like that. There are things in the Bible that we like to call difficult. There are things to grasp in the Bible that are difficult in their meaning. They're difficult in to discern what is being said or, or why it's being said or how it's being said and what context and all that kind of stuff. The Bible is like that. And as we read through the Bible, we'll come across those very difficult things from time to time. I mean, last week, if you remember, I discussed the mystery of salvation. There are many, many mysteries in the Bible. Paul speaks of three or four in his epistles. The mysteries of the Bible. It's full of mysteries, but God has never asked us to understand. He's asked us to believe. He's asked us to, by faith, believe that His Word is true, that it is infallible, it is inerrant. There is no error there. And we can believe and trust in it because it has been proven to be true throughout the ages. There's nothing false in it. We can trust in the words that give life. And in these words of his book, give life. So as we have been looking at the events recorded here in chapter 6, we notice that they cover a period of two days in the life of Jesus' ministry. Two days. Remember on day one, a large multitude was gathered. They were following Jesus everywhere. Jesus looked out on them and had compassion because they didn't have anything to eat. He made them all sit down, and when he looked upon them, this compassion overflowed, and then he miraculously took the five fishes, excuse me, the five loaves and two fishes and multiplied them. Multiplied them before their eyes, and he fed 5,000 men. They were given the physical food to nourish their bodies for another day. They were all satisfied, and they were all filled. In fact, Scripture says that there was an over amount because the disciples ran around and picked up 12 baskets of leftovers, giving them something for the ride over to Capernaum. Those men who ate and were filled saw the miracle that Jesus performed, and they said, truly, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. What they were saying was that this was the prophet that Moses prophesied would come in Deuteronomy 18.15. This was he. But they didn't go so far to believe upon him, to believe in him. Because of this, they wanted to make him king. They wanted to force him to be the king. So Jesus left. He went on the mountaintop seeking solace. But before he left, he gave his disciples a chore. They were to get in a boat and row over to Capernaum. Now, he knew a storm was approaching, but he wanted to see if they learned anything from the loaves and the fishes. 
He was giving them a pop quiz. Remember, we studied that. And as the disciples rowed, the wind came up and the storm came up, and they were rowing into the wind, and they were straining on the oars. And then all of a sudden, they looked out, and here comes this figure approaching in the dark, approaching very, very fast. And it was Jesus. And Jesus looked like he was going to overtake them until they asked him to come into the boat. And immediately when they got him in the boat, they received him, and they arrived at the shore. No storm, nothing. The next day, the multitude was looking for Jesus. And they ended up at Capernaum, and they found him. And they said, how did you get here? They were puzzled on how he had gotten there. It was then that Jesus began to teach them. It was then that we are now in this long teaching of Jesus. Some people call it a sermon of Jesus, and it is a sermon of such. Jesus is teaching them because everything Jesus did, he did with a purpose. Everything. The purpose of the miracle of the loaves and fishes was so he might preach this message to them about the bread of life that came down from heaven. He had a specific purpose in doing this. See, Jesus' ministry was all about grace and truth. We said this before. It was in grace that Jesus fed them physical food and nourished their hunger bodies. But in truth, he wanted to give them something of even greater value. He wanted to give them eternal life, and he knew that they had to partake of this bread that came down to heaven to get eternal life. He wanted to give them something was, that would last. And once again, we always seem to say that they were thinking physically, fill my belly, and he was thinking spiritually, save your life. There are two huge, vast differences there. Jesus is never satisfied with the physical. Never satisfied with the physical. Why? Because he knows there's no power in physical food. He knows there's no power in physical food. True power comes from the spiritual food that Jesus offers. In truth, Jesus wanted to give them the word of God. He wanted them to hear and listen to what was being said because he knew that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. He knew they needed to hear the word of God so that God could draw them into a relationship with him through his spirit. But sadly, all they wanted was food. That's all they wanted was food. What have you done for me lately? Give me a meal, I'm hungry. That's all they wanted. They didn't want the truth. All right, I'll say it. They couldn't handle the truth. You've been waiting for me to say that. Come on. Yeah, the crowd was seeking Jesus, but they were seeking him for all the wrong reasons. They wanted a sign. Jesus wanted them to be free. He knew in their hearts that they were seeking him for another meal. But he also knew that they really needed was not that type of food. What the people really needed was life, and that's what we need today, life. Jesus is going to declare in John 10, chapter 10, that I have come that they may have life, and life more abundantly. Are you living the abundant life today? Are you living, would you look at your life and say, my life is full of abundance? Or are you striving and struggling and, 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 and trying to reach something that is unattainable that you think? These people ate the physical food, and guess what? They were hungry again. They were hungry again. The food Jesus offered would gain them eternal life. They would never hunger again. When Jesus came to them and said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven, in verse 41, the crowd murmured and complained. What do you mean he came down from heaven? This is the carpenter's son, Jesus, Joseph's son. Who is this guy? We know who he is. But Jesus rebuked them. And said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. If you hear and if you listen, you'll have faith and the Father will draw you. 
And we pick up in verse 45 where Jesus again insists that he had a unique relationship with God the Father. Verse 45 says, excuse me, verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. He's making this astronomical claim that he has a different relationship than they do because he came from the Father. When we get into the end of John, he's going to say, I and the Father are one. This is a huge claim on his part. It's another claim of deity. No one else had this type of relationship. And the crazy thing about it is that the Jews thought they had this type of relationship by birth. They thought that this was theirs by birth and circumcision. They thought that this was theirs because they were still relying on a covenant that Abraham had. They were still relying on that covenant. But who is Jesus? He's the new covenant. Jesus is coming in to usher in a new covenant. A new covenant by his blood. He had their unique relationship. The relationship that Jesus was speaking about was much greater than any relationship you can think of. And he continues this staggering claim. Look at 47 and 48. Most assuredly, that's verily, verily, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. He's repeating now what he said back in verse 35. I am the bread of life. The great I am of Jesus. We're going to study a bunch of them in the Gospel of John. The I am's. I am the bread of life. He's claiming this. There are two main thoughts here. First, what it means to believe. In the sense that Jesus is talking about, what does it mean to believe? It means to trust in, to cling on, to rely in, to put your faith in, to rely in completely. Not to just know. Not to just know. See, we have a bad habit. And I'm guilty as the next we go. We look at someone and go, well, do you know Jesus? And they go, well, yeah, I know Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust in, cling to, rely on Jesus in every situation of your life? Have you accepted him as a savior of your sins? Have you accepted him? There's a big difference in knowing him and believing in him that way. Big difference. And secondly, this is a huge claim because nobody else in the Bible up until this time made that claim. Not one other person in the Bible, not one prophet, not one holy man ever made the claim that said, believe in me and you'll have everlasting life. That was a huge claim. This didn't compute with the listeners. This didn't compute with the holy men or the Jews that assembled to hear him. And you know what? I'm going to take a bold step here, and I'm not trying to offend anybody, but it doesn't compute to some of you either. It doesn't compute to some of you what Jesus says. Believe in me and find everlasting life. It doesn't compute with us. It's difficult doctrine. It's a difficult message. Because you're still believing that you need to work to get his approval. You're still believing that if I do this, I do that. If I stack up all my jobs and all my work here, God will look at me and go, boy or girl. Now maybe you'll have salvation. But do some more. Believe in him and have everlasting life. When Jesus said he was the bread that came down from heaven, as a master teacher, he was using a metaphor. He was using a metaphor, and a metaphor is a figure of speech that refers to something as being the same as another thing for rhetorical effect. It may provide clarity or identify hidden similarities between the two ideas. Jesus repeatedly and continued to use this metaphor. As bread was necessary for physical life, 
Jesus is necessary for spiritual life and eternal life. Jesus knew that they would understand the reference to manna. He knew that they would understand the reference to manna because their forefathers talked about the manna that fell from heaven, the manna that was given to them. And they even referenced it when they were talking to him back over in the scriptures. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it written, he gave them bread from heaven, thinking that Moses was somehow responsible for the bread. But you know, it's not really difficult to picture Jesus as the manna. But it's a mysterious thing to the Jews. I mean, after all, what does manna mean? What is it? That's what manna means. What is it? So it was a mysterious thing to them, too. Jesus declared that he was the bread, the heavenly bread that came down. Interesting, he uses this phrase that came down from heaven, the heavenly bread, seven times in this sermon. Seven times alone. He declared him to be God, and hence the difficulty got higher. Jesus is declaring that he came from heaven. And as Jesus is speaking, the dissension is building among the Jews. In each phrase, he continues to claim his equality to God. Jesus was talking about being the bread of life. He said in verse 49, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they're dead. Now they had no problem believing this because this was true. This was scripture. They knew it to be true. But then in verse 51, he continues with this figure of speech, this metaphor about eating and drinking, it was common in Jesus' day because it pointed to one thing that Jesus was trying to say. It meant taking one into the innermost part. Taking one into the innermost part. And you can see their dissension in verse 52. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves and saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? How can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus had just explained to him that the bread was his body and that it would be as a sacrifice to the whole world, the body being sacrificed. They twisted his words, and they thought it implied cannibalism. They thought it implied being a vampire. Now, why would this be so difficult from them? Think about it. Why would this be so utterly difficult to them? Because of the law. They were not supposed to eat human flesh according to the law of Moses. They were not even supposed to touch blood according to the law of Moses. So right away, this became a difficult doctrine. Right away, they started backing up and said, whoa, man, yo, what are you talking about? But I love the way Jesus responds to their complaints. Look at 53. Jesus then said, most assuredly, verily, verily, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Wow. Now he responds by speaking even more boldly. He's really coming at them now. He, he has them on the run, and he knows it. He knows where their minds are going. He said, okay, I'm going to go in, and I'm going to really hit them hard. Unless you do this, you have no everlasting life. You have no life at all. He amplifies his point. My flesh is the blood. My flesh is the blood, and I'm going to lay it down for your life. My flesh and blood. I love what Guzik said about this. I've got to include a Guzik quote in most of my messages. Quote, bread of life is a metaphor. Bread from heaven is a metaphor. Living bread is a metaphor. Bread of God is a metaphor. Get the point? It doesn't surprise us that Jesus extends the bread of metaphor to his actual soon-to-be sacrifice on the cross. He's trying to get something across that's spiritual, but they can't receive it. To them, it's difficult doctrine. To them, their heads are spinning because they can't fathom it. The statement's like, for my flesh is food indeed, and my body is drink, in verse 55. This placed a question in their minds. 
They couldn't understand this by listening. They didn't have the strength or the faith to believe. It was a hard saying. And they wondered who could understand this. <laughs> it seems like the more they got confused, the more Jesus slammed them. The more Jesus came in. The more confused they got, the more he hit them. He said, you think you're confused with that one? Listen to this one. He says in verse 56, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And I could just see them sitting there going, what? What's he talking about? What is going on with this thing? What's happening here? Now, he was not literally talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Let's move that on, okay? He wasn't talking about that, and I'll be bold, bold that he wasn't talking about communion either. He wasn't talking about communion either. The biggest thing that leaves communion on the side is when he says, if you do this, you have eternal life. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say, unless we take communion, we have eternal life. That's not true. That's not true. Jesus was talking spiritually. He knew what his earthly mission was. He knew that he would die on a cross. Jesus knew that suffering was necessary and his death would benefit all mankind. He knew that. He also knew that it was up to mankind to believe. See, I always say that God did his part marvelously. God did everything. God did everything. He arranged to come to earth as a man. He, he arranged for this man to go to a cross and die for the sins of the world. He arranged all that. He did all that. He resurrected this man on the third day so it could be the possibility of everlasting life. He did all that. The work is completed. And we all have to do something. What can I do? Okay. Believe. No, 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 no. What do I have to do? Believe. You're not listening to me. No, no, you're not listening to me. Believe. How many times did Jesus have to say, believe, have faith, place your faith in, trust in, cling to, rely on? He knew it was up to mankind to do that. He wanted people to believe upon him for eternal life. They could become a part of him, and they could be a part of Jesus. It doesn't get much clearer for me, anyhow, and I'm pretty thick-skulled, but when Jesus prays mightily in chapter 17 of John, we'll get there in the next millennium, Jesus prays this. Listen to what Jesus prays for in chapter 17 of Gospel of John, beginning in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also those who will believe in me through their word. What does he pray? That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. That's Jesus' prayer. By eating his flesh, and by drinking his blood, we become one with Jesus. He abides in us. This is a literal thing, according to the Jews, and their mind is blown. They have no idea what he's saying. But Jesus says, you don't have spiritual eyes because you haven't believed in the Son of Man. You haven't believed in God. You must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born of the Spirit. If you're not born of the Spirit, you cannot see spiritual things. These things don't make sense. The invitation is still open today, folks. But some people today still think it's a hard saying. You are the book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. But the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start. 
So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.